It's amazing to me how many people desire to grow in their walk with God, regardless of where they are in the journey. So they ask for more faith. Many people pray for it. Other people say, if I come to church, maybe I'll just serendipitously get it. However, the scripture is very clear about how we get more faith. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God as Romans chapter 10 verse 17 reminds us. So our prayer for you as you hear this message is that your faith would go from where it is to where God intends it to be. Grow as you hear this word. that are online I don't know if I've ever asked you to do this online but if you're able to do it would you stand would you just in whatever space you're in if it's by the bed just stand with us we do not need to let this moment come and go as we are uh, preparing to celebrate the life and the ministry and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. tomorrow Uh, there were many people that prayed for the day Take a moment to just thank God for his life. And as you're doing that, I want you to think about the unrest that our country has faced in years past recently with the death of so many innocent people who've been killed, murdered, unjustly. And realize we've got a long way to go. But the same God that brought us this far will continue to bring us forward so would you pray that God would raise up prophets again that will crowd in the darkness crowd in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make plain and make straight the path of God's righteousness father thank you so much for this Dr. King weekend that we as a country set aside to remember his life And not only his life, but his amazing ministry. And it was that. Thank you, God, that because of this man's life, we've been able to see so much happen. Not just him, but so many others that are like him. Names that may not have an official holiday. We stand on the shoulders of those who sacrificed. Not just black people, white people, and Asian, and Native American, and those God from different ethnicities who stood together saying it's right to be about righteousness and so we pray God that you would continue to move us forward as a country continue to move us forward as a world as was said in the beginning God we wrestle not against flesh and blood we don't wrestle against people we wrestle against the spirits that often operate behind and in and through those people And so, God, would you give us, God, victory again? We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Can we give God praise for the life and the ministry and the legacy of Dr. King? Come on, let's do a lot better than that. Amen. Do me a favor. Turn to somebody next to you. Just say, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. And then you can take your seat. Hallelujah so grateful for all of you that are with us today and we're so thankful for all of our visitors we don't take it lightly 
those of you that are not members of Citadel of Faith, but just decided to come our way today and to visit with us. We are humbled and we are grateful that you're with us. And our prayer is that something that you experience, something that you feel, something that you hear uh, would draw you closer to Jesus. That is our ultimate prayer, that you would be closer to him uh, as a result of being with us. Uh, We're excited about the word of God today, and I'm excited to share with you all what God has dropped in my spirit as we continue on this journey uh, in understanding the Bible. Uh, The word of God is God's expression of himself to us. And if we don't properly understand it, we'll miss it. Um, How many of y'all have ever used your GPS? Yeah, Uh, I, I must be guilty when I say this, you all. I use my GPS unnecessarily. That means I, I know how to get where I'm going, but I just enjoy it telling me when to turn and just kind of almost being mindless. And I really am very partial to Waze because Waze will tell me when it's a, a bypass or something. Uh, but how many of y'all have ever entered a wrong uh, destination? <laughs> and you were just going along and you realize I'm not going the right way. Well, you all, if you start out the journey wrong, you will end the journey incorrectly and wrong. And if we don't have a right and proper view of the scriptures, a biblical understanding, a right view of God's word, uh, then we'll not understand why God claims what he claims. And then why God asks of us what he asks of us. For many people today, we say the claims of the Bible are not current. The claims of scripture are not modern. Uh, The claims of scripture are no longer relevant in 2023. And if we're not careful, you all, we will buy into that narrative that the word of God is not relevant uh, today as it uh, maybe was in times past. And so we're endeavoring in these uh, weeks uh, ahead of us to uh, unpack uh, the word of God and to look at the scriptures that way. And so uh, if you would just turn with me to a passage of scripture that has been such a blessing uh, to me. Let me just say this, you all. I love the fact that you love the Bible, this church. I've been to churches where people don't like the Bible. uh, And you would be surprised how many churches, when you start saying, turn to your Bible, they look at you like, uh, we're not about the Bible. And so, you all, I'm just grateful to God for you all and your love and appreciation for the Scripture. So give yourselves a hand for being a church that loves the Word of God. Amen. Amen. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it's the theme scripture that we'll be using for our entire time. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's such an important scripture. Hear it again. All scriptures, say all. All. Not just the scriptures that we like. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for these things, for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So you all, we opened up this uh, series this year saying that in the beginning was the word of God and the word was with God and the word was God. And we talked about the fact that when God introduces himself in the book of Genesis and in the first gospel, uh, in in John's gospel, he opens up by saying, in the beginning, uh, God. Uh, So in other words, before there was a 
world, before there was any created thing, there was God. Uh, God has no beginning. Uh, Young people, if you're young here, I used to always ask the question, where did God come from? Because it's natural for us as created things to always look for a creator. God, unlike any of us or any created thing, has no origin. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. So when God opens up the scriptures, he starts by saying, before there was anything made, there was God. And therefore, God spoke. And as he spoke, everything that came into existence, everything that we are experiencing now came into existence through the word of God. But then we talked about the fact that God began to speak through prophets and speak through people who wrote and penned the scriptures. And last time we talked about the canon of scripture and how uh, Jewish people and how Christians through the ages came together and all agreed that these inspired, as it says in 2 Timothy, God-breathed words were literally the words of God. And so those 66 books of the Bible, which we now hold and have, are considered to be the canon of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, that Christians adhere to as our holy book. Now, you all, it's important to know that every religious system, for the most part, has sacred writings, all right? Uh, If you are uh, of uh, Islamic background or Muslim background, you will have uh, the Quran as your holy or sacred writings. Uh, If you are a Jewish uh, individual, you will have the Old Testament or a portion of that as your holy writings. And so every religious uh, expression uh, has a holy scripture or a book or some kind of document that give it um, a reason to say that this is what we believe, this is how we believe, and this is the way in which we live out in the world. Now, as Christians, we believe in the Word of God, which is the Bible. But there are many people, you all, who will look at the Bible and say, well, wait a minute, There seem to be different versions of the Bible. There seem to be some uh, uh, versions that have more books of the Bible than others. And today we want to kind of get into that. Uh, I want to put this graphic up about uh, the quote from, uh, uh, well, first of all, let me just do this real real quick. There is a a, a football guy uh, who made the statement that this is a football. Remember that? Uh, I said that last time. And he began to cause this team that he was coaching to win every game because they thought that they knew what a football was, but the way that they were playing was showing that they did not know what a football was. And so there are many Christians who would say, well, pastor, you know what? Why are we being taught about the Bible? I'm a Christian. I want to know how to overcome. I want to know how to walk into my blessing. I want this year to be the year of, uh, of God's favor on my life. So why are we talking about the Bible? Because you all, if we get the basics wrong, If we don't understand the basics, we can never graduate to the other things that God would have us to know. And so, you all, the scriptures give us a broad spectrum of how long it has been around, the time span that it covers. And if there's a graphic you guys can put up of that timeline, I wish you guys would just put that up. Um, Let me just show you how the world is. Um, Back in the day, how many of y'all are from the era Uh, that there was uh, B.C. and A.D. How many of y'all remember when you were in school, that's what you were taught, B.C. and A.D.? All right. Uh, uh, it, would, it would be before Christ. Right. And then uh, A.D. would not be after death. Some of y'all thought it was that, but it was actually Anno Domini, uh, which is two Latin words, which means the year of our Lord. So uh, many people were upset 
that we were gauging humanity and gauging history around the personhood of Christ. So scholars decided to change the language from B.C. and A.D. to uh, what is now called uh, Common Era, uh, B.C.E., and then C.E. So basically before Common Era and now Common Era. So you will no longer really see in any schools uh, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, nor will you see before Christ because they really want to make sure that we're not dating humanity around Jesus anymore. Isn't that interesting? All right, but if you look, you all, from 2300 B.C. Uh, all the way to right about at 100 uh, uh, B.C., you see the timeline of when these various stories were uh, shared in the Word of God and in the Scripture. So you see the patriarchs and Israel's founding was happening around 2300 to 1900. Then you'll see the exile in Egypt was from 1700 uh, B.C. to about 1500 B.C. Then you will notice, you all, that they were in the wilderness and then entered into the Promised Land, the book of Joshua. And then the judges came up around 1300 BC to 1100 BC. Then the kingdoms were united uh, right in that time between 1100 BC and 900. Then the kingdoms were divided between the northern and the southern kingdoms from 900 to about, about 700 BC. And then you all, they were in captivity in Babylon around 500 BC. They returned to Jerusalem uh, right around 500 to 300 BC. And then the silent years, the year that there is no uh, disclosed uh, scripture or revelation of God was from 300 to about 100 BC. And so uh, the Old Testament comprises a time span of about 2300 uh, BC all the way up to right at about 100 BC. Um, and the, 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 the canon in which those of us that are Christians abide by, the books of the Old Testament that we abide by, are broken up into some areas and some, some divisions. First is history and law. Say history and law. And I know for some of y'all, y'all be like, am I in school or I'm in church? If you don't understand what you believe, then it's hard to shout about what you believe. I'm tired of seeing people shouting and shouting in ignorance. You need to know what you believe. Amen. Tell somebody next to you, I need to know what you believe. All right. Tell the person next to you, you need to know what you believe. <laughs> all right. So the first sex segment of the Old Testament is history and law, you all. And these are the books that entail those. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. That's the history and the law segment of the Old Testament. Uh, and then you all, there's another segment here, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. So this is giving us a historical perspective of Israel's rising up as a nation, of God's covenant with them, of their uh, uh, going in and out of uh, various deliverances, differences and, 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 and sometimes captivities and sometimes uh, uh, very difficult seasons of, of their journey. And so it moves from history and law, again the Ten Commandments came out of that, to it comes to writings and poetry, all right? So these are the books of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. This is what we call the writings and poetry sections of the Old Testament. Then there are the prophetic books. And let me just say this as we talk about the prophetic books of the Bible. Um, whether you all know it or not, I want to acknowledge this or not, Dr. King was a prophet. 
Let me tell you why. Prophecy is not, when you hear the word prophecy, people think, oh, you can tell the future. You, you know what's going to happen in the future. That's, that can be one aspect of prophecy, but it's not the only aspect of prophecy. As a matter of fact, if you look in the Bible, you'll see more prophets were not future telling, but they were warning and speaking against the evil and the injustices of the day. And so a prophetic voice is a voice that is willing to speak truth to power. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And so Dr. King was not telling us about the future, although he did say, I do have a dream one day that we'll be able to go to Somerset Mall together. Uh, you can only still go to one side without being followed, by the way. I just want you to know, you, the, the low end you can go to, but the other end you're going to be followed. I just want you to know that. Just, just know that. All right. Uh, uh, however, Dr. King was a prophet in the sense that he spoke truth to power, right? He was able to stand against the injustice of the day and to address those injustices in a clear and intelligent way with an answer which, which was, let's live out the meaning of our Constitution. And so the prophets that we see in the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the Book of Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, and Amos. Those are considered the prophetic books, all right? Uh, continuing in that would be Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now, you know what's so funny about the books I just named to y'all? Probably most of us have read maybe about four of them. Come on now. If I said, let's open up to Nahum, and you had a real Bible, let's open up to Nahum you would be in the, in the glossary, in the table of contents. Come on, don't look at me in that tone of voice. How many of y'all know you don't know where Nahum is? Don't look at me like that. It's in the Old Testament somewhere, right? And so you are, it's important if we want to love God, God, I want to love you more, then we want to love his word. If he, is, if he is synonymous with his word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, God, I want to know you more. That means I want to know your word more. God, I want to love you more than I want to love your word more. So we need to not just hang out and camp out at the scriptures and the books that are most common to us and most safe to us, but investigate and look at other books that may not be uh, as familiar to us. Are y'all following what I'm saying to you? All right, so that is the breakdown in our Christian canon of the Old Testament. Jewish people, you all, have a very different view uh, of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, they do not really categorize it in the same way, nor do they have the same number of books that we do in the Jewish um, uh, version of the Old Testament. Uh, and as a matter of fact, that is their holy book, by the way. Uh, they have three divisions in the Old Testament. Uh, they call it the Tanakh, all right? So the law or the Torah for them, very similar to our Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But the prophets is where it differs. Uh, for the Jews, uh, they combine the books. It's Joshua and Judges. Then they call it the book of kingdoms, all right? The book of kingdoms are 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings. They make that one book. So as opposed to us having four different, you know, books of the Bible, 1st and 2nd, 1st Samuel, 2nd Samuel, you know, they combine it all into one book and they call it the book of kingdoms, all right, in their particular tradition. Then they have uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Then they call another book the Twelve. Hosea to Malachi. That's really kind of how y'all view stuff too. Uh, 
just lump them together. It's the 12. Right? So they, uh, it's always reckoned as one book by the Jews. So from Hosea to Malachi, they put that all as one book. Then the next segment is called the Holy Writings. Sometimes it's also referred to as Psalms because it was the first book in the collection of this royal division. And this last division would be for them the Psalms, the Proverbs, Job's Song of Songs, not the Song of Solomon, they call it the Song of Songs, Ruth, Lamentations, uh, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, and Nehemiah reckoned, again, as one book by the Jews, and then the book of Chronicles, which is also reckoned as one book by the Jews. So you notice that they have uh, 22 books in their version of the Old Testament, and we have 39. Now, you all, this is important because for many people, when you start looking at different Bibles, you'll say, wait a minute, why does this Bible, the Jewish Bible, have this many books of the Old Testament? And why does the Christian Bible have this many books of the Old Testament? There must be some kind of confusion or some kind of, uh, you know, disparity between the two. And that's not the case at all. The canon of Scripture, which has been agreed upon widely uh, around the world through ages, has been agreed upon that we believe that there are 39 books in the canon of Scripture for Christians. Jewish people believe a little differently. I mentioned to you all last week that I was at a funeral of uh, a relative, and it was a Catholic uh, funeral. How many of y'all have ever been to a Catholic service or a Catholic mass, all right? Uh, and so you all, uh, if you've ever gotten a hold of a Catholic Bible, uh, you'll find that they have a very different uh, uh, set of books in their uh, uh, Bible. Uh, so the Apocrypha, say Apocrypha. Some of y'all ain't saying it at all. So when I say, say something, it would be really great unless you're mute and can't say anything back to actually re repeat what I'm saying back to you. Because when I'm saying, could you say this word, it really means I want you to say it. Because you do know that when you say things, you also remember it better when you say it. Apocrypha. All right. Apocrypha comes from the Greek word apocrypha, which means things that are hidden or secret. The apocrypha refers to two collections of ancient Jewish and Christian writings that have certain affinities with various books of the Old and New Testament, but were not canonized by Christians or Jews as a whole. So apocrypha is called hidden or secret books. They're not hidden in the sense that uh, Christians didn't know that they exist. Or they're not secret in the fact that uh, the theologians and scholars were not aware of their existence. They just were not included in the canon of scripture, all right? So in the Roman Catholic Church, we're talking about the Old Testament now, they recognize seven additional books in the Old Testament uh, in, their, in their version of the scriptures. And those books are the book of Tobit, the book of Judith, uh, first and second Maccabees, the book of Wisdom, the book of Sirach, which is also called Ecclesiasticus, and the book of Baruch. So these are actual books in the Catholic Bible. So if you end up getting a Catholic Bible and you see those books in it, don't say, wait a minute, those are not the same books that are in my Bible. Where did that come from? I want you to be informed people that the Catholic Bible is not the canon of Scripture that Protestants adhere to, and therefore they've added those other books. Some of those other books are historical books. They're, they're books, if you go back in, in history, you can find it. They were actually written, and they were written in the time frame, and some of the instances were very uh, true to what was happening in the historical timeline of what was rendered, but the people who evaluated and assessed those books did not feel as though those books were 
inspired by God, inspired by Holy Spirit, and are able to be used as the canon of Scripture. Are y'all following me? Are y'all tracking? All right. All right. So uh, in that, you all, you will find that there will be uh, that kind of a disparity with the Catholic Bible. But you all, you'll also find in, in Orthodox churches, there will be even more books that they add to their version of the Bible because they also are adding other apocrypha books uh, uh, in, their, in their canon or in their books. All right. So does that make sense? In the Christian Bible, we have the 39 books of the Old Testament because those books have been agreed upon by scholars, by both even Jewish communities and Christian communities to be the ones that were God-breathed and God-inspired. There are other books that have been added to the Catholic Bible, added to the Eastern Orthodox churches, and even in the Septuagint, which was when they went and translated the Old Testament, which was in Hebrew, to Greek. They added some books into the Septuagint, and those books have other books that many of us that are in the Protestant tradition don't know. So I want you all to be aware when you pick up a Bible and you find that that Bible may have other books in it, uh, which Bible do I, as a Christian or as a Protestant, adhere to? My prayer is that you would know that we adhere to the 39 books of the Old Testament. All right. So let's now get to the final piece of this message today, which is what does all of this have to do with me? Pastor, I'm grateful that you're giving us an, uh, an intelligent discussion about the history of the Bible, the origins of the Bible, uh, you know, what, it, what, what the breakdown is or the categories of it, the difference between uh, how Christians view the Bible or look at the scriptures versus how a Catholic Christian might view the Bible or how an Eastern Orthodox Christian may view the Bible. Uh, I'm glad you're breaking that down to me because I always wonder when I get different Bibles why I'm seeing different books. I'm glad for that. But, but pastor, can you give us a little bit more of a, a reason why we should be into the Old Testament? Isn't it all about Jesus? And, and, and what does the Old Testament have to do about anything with my life? All them, uh, all them folk walking through deserts and, 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 and camels spitting and, and, and people at whales and talking to folk. I mean, I don't understand all that stuff. I want to know more about Jesus. Why do we study the Old Testament? I'm glad you asked. So let's look at what the Old Testament reveals to us, the Old Testament and its value to you. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, you all, it records how humanity was cursed because of sin. Now, you all, this is important because uh, if you understand that the world is in the condition it's in, not because God wanted it, but because mankind decided we didn't want God, we will stop blaming God for evil in the world. If God is a good God, why is there evil in the world? Have you ever asked that question? Can I tell you why there's evil in the world? Because God gave man a free choice. Before sin entered the world, there was no murder, there was no rape, there was no uh, natural disaster, there was no human trafficking, there was no racism, there was no injustice, there was no sin at all. And God said to man, I want you all to live in this world that I've made that is free of calamity and your life is free of sin. There will not be any evil in you, but only thing I need you to do is stay away from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Because the day that you eat of that tree, the day that you eat of it, you will die. And what does it mean? You will be in sin. Not only you, but the whole world will be in sin. The moment that uh, Adam and Eve decided, or really Adam, to take of that fruit of the tree, it wasn't an apple, but whatever the fruit was of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, at that moment, humanity was hurled into sin. And every injustice, every evil, every wrong that you've ever experienced, every wrong that you ever will see experienced is not because God wanted it, not because God was behind it, was but because man decided, God, we don't need you, we can do it our way. And at that moment, the whole world was plunged into sin and cursed. But I'm grateful that in Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, it shows through Jesus the redemptive work over the curse so you all, even though in Genesis chapter 3, the Old Testament shows us how sin uh, came and took over the world. You all, we were in a series in the book of Revelation. We finished it a few years ago. In Revelation chapter 22, we see that God defeats sin and he now is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And the earth will have no more sin and no more sorrow and no more death and no more pain and no more sickness. Are you hearing me? And so you all, even though Genesis reveals to us how sin entered, Revelation shows us how sin exits. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 reveals God as the creator. If you don't believe that God is the creator, then you believe that you can be any kind of thing you want to be, any kind of way you want to be, because you're not made in anybody's image but your own. When you realize that you were created by someone, that God had intention when he made you, and that God is the creator of all things, and you didn't just climb out of some primordial sludge, and you did not just evolve from some ape or some monkey, but you were made in the image and the likeness of God, then you can begin to realize that the image of God has been stamped on you, and that you're greater than an animal, and you're greater than a beast. Are you hearing me? And so you all, to realize that the Old Testament reveals to us that God is the creator. Uh, in Exodus chapters 13 and 14, it reveals to us that he is a deliverer. He is a savior. That God will take his people and bring them out of where they are into where they need to go into. Listen, you all, is there anybody grateful that God is a deliverer? Listen, I'm glad that he didn't stop delivering with Moses. I'm glad that he didn't stop delivering with the children of Israel. But God has brought me up out of some stuff is there anybody here glad that God is a modern day deliverer has God brought you up out of some stuff you may not be out of all of it but God has brought you up out of some stuff he is a savior Leviticus chapter 19 you need to write this stuff down some of y'all need to write this stuff down Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2 reveals himself God shows himself as the holy one Oh, you better hear me now, because we're making God in our own image. We're not, listen, we're not being made in the image of God. We're trying to make God in our image. The man upstairs. He's not the man upstairs. He is the holy and the righteous God. You, listen, if Judge Judy requires you to stand when Judge Judy with her old butt can come in the room, then when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords come in, he is holy and he demands that you reverence him and you worship him. God is holy. And many of us don't know nothing about holiness no more. Let me just say this, you all. I'm not, I'm not from a holiness background. I'm not from a holiness church. But we need to bring a little holiness back to the church. 
We need to bring a little bit of holiness and reverence back to the things of God. There was a time that you didn't come to church chewing gum and smacking gum. You, there was a time you didn't. Listen, I'm not against. I understand churches when you have your little lattes and you got your little cups of coffee and you sit. I know. I see churches have little seats with stuff where you can put your coffee in. I can't, I'm not. But if I'm coming before a holy God, do I need to bring my macchiato in front of the holy God? Are you hearing me? If you can't chew gum in a courtroom. <laughs> Numbers 14 reveals, watch this now. He revealed, why is the Old Testament important? Because if we, if we leave the Old Testament out, we leave out the understanding of the nature of God. Watch this now. You'll only think that God is the expression of Jesus in the New Testament and not the Father in the Old. He's the God of wrath and judgment of sin. Let me let this sit for a minute. Numbers 14 in the Old Testament reveals the nature of God as a God of wrath and judgment of sin. Why is that important? Because in the garden, God says the payment or the result of sin will be death. There will be judgment. And you all, we want a God that doesn't judge. We want a God that will allow sin to run rampant and there is no penalty for sin. That is not a biblical view of God. It is not a biblical view of Christianity to believe that sin has no consequence. But watch this now. If we make God in our image and we make God in our likeness, then our sin will never show up on his radar. <laughs> but when God's holiness and God's nature and God's will and God's desires are made clear before us and we dishonor and we disobey those things, God says he is a God of wrath and he's a God of judgment on sin. I wish we had a time that the church would talk a little bit about judgment. Because one day all of us are going to die. And after death, judgment. Here's the question. You're going to live forever. Everybody in this room, everybody online, everybody online, type, type in the chat, I'm going to live forever. Type in the chat, I'm going to live forever. Type it in. Did you type it? Now the question, type in this, where am I going to live? Everybody's going to live forever. The question is, where will you live? Will you live in the presence of God because you've accepted Jesus and your sin has been dealt with and you're able to now be received into heaven because of his sacrifice? Or will you be, will you be in your sin before a holy God trying to talk your way into heaven? Eternally separated from God. The Old Testament also reveals he's a God of love. Deuteronomy chapter 7 speaks of him as this God of love. I want you to hear from Exodus chapter 34. I'm going to actually read this. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. This is how God speaks of himself. Listen, y'all. This is why the Old Testament is important. Because when we read it, we hear how God speaks of himself. How many of y'all have ever dated somebody before, ever in your whole life, dated anybody? I see some of y'all with kids, and you're talking about. How many of y'all ever dated somebody in your whole life? Thank you. Thank you. It's called interaction. Thank you. 
when you, when you met with them, when you, what, what, what food you like to eat, right? What, what, what kind of movies you like? What kind of music you like, right? Because you want to get to know them, right? And as you get to know them, you can then understand them and then maybe try to please or try to meet them where they are because you know a little bit more about them. Well, that's what the Old Testament does. It get, listen, it gives us a knowledge of what God says about himself. So what does he say about himself? Uh, look what it says, Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. This is what he says. God, God, a God of mercy and grace, endlessly patient, so much love, so deeply true, loyal in love for a thousand generations. This is how God describes himself. He says, I'm so loyal in love, my love ain't just going to last on you, but it's going to last for a thousand generations. Forgiving iniquity. Aren't you glad that God forgives your iniquity? He forgives rebellion and forgives sin. But watch this now. Still, he doesn't ignore sin. He holds sons and grandsons responsible for a father's sins to the third and even the fourth generation. That's what he says about himself. He says, I'm a God of love. I'm a God of grace. I'm a God who's endlessly patient, so much love, so true, loyal to a thousand generations, forgiving all of your sin, all of your rebellion, all of your iniquity. He says, still, I cannot by my very nature ignore sin. And therefore, uh, when people live a life of sin, I'm, listen, this is now, the same way that I will bless generations for righteousness, I will also visit your children and children's children for the sins to the third and even the fourth generation. I said this before when I, I read this text. It's so good to know that his, uh, his love goes for a thousand generations, but his judgment only goes to the third and the fourth generation. <laughs> He's such a loving God. He said, you know what? Even though I can't let sin go, I'm so loving. I'm not going to let your great, 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 great grandkids get it. Just your great greats. Anyway. God's covenant promises. I'm almost done. In the Abrahamic covenant, you all, it's found in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. God promises land, promises a nation and a blessing that extends from Israel to all nations. That's found in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, there's a covenant, a, a, a contract, as it were, that God made with David. And that promise said that David will have a descendant who will sit on the throne and rule and reign forever. And so there was a promise, a covenant that God made with David, that one day, David, out of your bloodline, out of your descendant will come someone who will sit on the throne, but unlike you, his throne will last forever and ever. Not only that, you all, there were prophets uh, that had uh, blessings that were connected uh, and covenants made through the prophets, that the blessings of Abraham would be realized through Jesus. And that's found in Jeremiah chapter 31 and Ezekiel chapter 36. Well, you all, why should I believe all of this stuff? 
Pastor, you seem to be so hung up on the Bible. Why are you so into the Bible? I mean, the Bible is big. It's important. But, Pastor, what is the big deal about the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Because in the Bible, Jesus is in every book of the Old Testament. I know y'all don't know it, but you can find him in every book of the Old Testament. In Genesis, he is the creator and the promised redeemer. In the book of Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In the book of Leviticus, he is the high priest. In the book of Numbers, he is the water in the desert. In the book of Deuteronomy, he becomes the curse for us. In the book of Joshua, he is the commander of the army of the Lord. In the book of Judges, he delivers us from injustice. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he is all in one. He is both prophet, priest, and king. In 2 Samuel, he is the king of grace and the king of love. In 1 Kings, he is a ruler greater than that of Solomon. In 2 Kings, he is a powerful prophet. 1 Chronicles, he's the son of David that is coming to rule. In 2 Chronicles, Jesus is the king who reigns eternally. In Ezra, he is the priest proclaiming freedom. In the book of Nehemiah, he's the one who restores what's been broken down. In the book of Esther, he is the protector of his people. In the book of Job, he is the mediator between God and man. In the book of Psalms, he is our song in the morning and our song in the middle of the night. In the book of Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he is our meaning for life. In the book of the Song of Solomon, he is the author of faithful love. In the book of Isaiah, he reveals himself, Jesus, as the suffering servant. In the book of Jeremiah, he he is the weeping prophet. In the book of Lamentation, he assumes that God's wrath for us, he takes it upon himself. In the book of Ezekiel, son of man. In the book of Daniel, he is a stranger in the fire with us. Oh, you better hear me now. In the book of Hosea, he's a faithful husband even when the spouse runs away. In the book of Joel, he is sending his spirit to his people. In the book of Amos, he delivers justice to the oppressed. In the book of Obadiah. He is the judge of those who do evil. In the book of Jonah, he is the greatest missionary. In the book of Micah, he casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness to remember them no more. In the book of Nahum, he proclaims future world peace that we cannot even imagine. In the book of Habakkuk, he crushes injustice. In the book of Zephaniah, he is the warrior who saves. In the book of Haggai, he's the restorer of war. In the book of Zephaniah, he is the prophetess and the prophesy of the Messiah has been pierced for us. In the book of Malachi, he is a son of righteousness who brings healing in his wings. Jesus is in every book of the Old Testament. Don't you let the Old Testament sit on your shelf. Don't you not read it. But let God reveal his very nature to you through it. And on the eve of this Dr. King birthday, my prayer is that we, we like him would say, what is the injustice around me? What is the injustice at my job? What is the injustice in the system that I'm in? Maybe you're an educator, maybe you're in government, maybe you're in the private sector, maybe you're a student and you're facing evil all around you and you're wondering why have I been placed where I've been placed? You're not there by accident. Dr. King must have asked the same question. 
Uh, who am I that I could lead a movement? But he just said, I'm just a preacher from Atlanta. But God can use me to cause a whole nation to turn around. I don't know what God is saying to you. I don't know why you are where you are. I don't know why you've been placed where you've been placed. But you're not where you are by accident. Your steps have been ordered by the Lord. And guess what? Prophets are not dead. Prophets did not die with Dr. King. But there's some prophets that God is still raising up right now. And he may, she may be sitting in your seat let's bow our heads together in prayer oh god we love you we honor and we bless you thank you that your word is so pure it's to be trusted and god we know and we recognize that as people are moving further away from you further away from the scriptures further away from christianity god we pray that we your servants here would say we're not walking away from it. We're even getting closer. Holy Spirit, would you let your word come alive to us? Let it not just be your written word, but your spoken word to us. Not just your logos, your written stuff, but, but you're speaking to us through it. Thank you, Lord, for revealing your nature through your holy scriptures. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you're listening and you say, Pastor, I did not know all of that about the Old Testament. I just kind of felt like that was just a part of the Bible that I didn't need to know that much about. But you know what? I, I learned some things today. But what I learned most is that I can't be all that I need to be without God. I don't want to spend an eternity without him. And so, Pastor, could you show us, could you tell me how I can know Jesus? And if you're listening, heads about, eyes are closed. If you're online, if you're in person, and for whatever the reason, listen, no judgment right now. If forever, whatever the reason, you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You've never, what does that mean? You've never surrendered to his Lordship. What does that mean? Jesus, I know you're the Son of God. I know you died for me. I know you did incredible things for me. I just want to accept those things, and I want to come under your authority if that's you today and you've been trying it your own way but your own way hasn't worked right now Jesus is inviting you to come to him the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus that God raised him from the dead you can be a Christian One of the great things about having heard what you just had a chance to experience is that your faith has gotten stronger. There's no way that you could have heard this message and your faith has not been increased. But where do we go? How do we move from faith to faith? The Bible is very clear that if you have not really made the greatest decision of your life, which is to become a Christian, you've really missed the great joy of the journey. So wherever you are, if you would like to have a personal relationship with Christ, do what the scripture says. Call upon the name of the Lord and you can be saved. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. I receive you now as my Savior and as my Lord. I'm trusting you and only you to direct my life. In Jesus' name. Congratulations, wherever you are, that means that you have become a believer. For those of you that are already believers, your faith is now stronger. 
Don't be merely a hearer, but be a doer, and let's change the world. If you just prayed that prayer, you have an opportunity to reach out to us, and we would be honored to serve you and help you in your journey. Uh, please contact us at area code 313-871-FORT, or please visit us on our website, citadeloffaith.org. That's simply spelled C-I-T-A-D-E-L of faith. Dot org, all one word. We would love to hear your testimonies. We would love to hear your prayer requests. Know that you're in a partnership with us and you're not in the journey alone. Let's change the world together, one person at a time.